All right, before we start, I want to let you know about this amazing all-in-one podcasting platform called Listener.fm. Listener helps you record, edit, distribute, and monetize your podcast all in one place. With just one click, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and others. Check it out at Listener.fm. That's L-I-S-T-N-R.fm. All right, John, welcome. And let's start. I'm I'm doing I'm doing good, man. Now let's start with the very first question. You built and sold a design agency. That's amazing. How were you able to do this? Let's talk about the entire story. Awesome. So uh, I know that's rare. Selling agencies are a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, but basically, uh, I, I kind of had started at this job. You know, Kodak. Kodak is a uh, the camera company, but I had worked for their dental division, which is really random. Nobody knew that they do dental software, but. Uh, Okay. I had kind of gone as far as you can go up on that team. <laughs> so um, I had done that for for nine years. And I, on the side, I was designing for bands. Like I had played in a band. I ran a venue for eight of those years. And so I had been like really into music and really into that scene. So um, started designing flyers, started designing uh, materials, CD comps, T-shirts, anything you could think of that would go for a band you could sell with that. And uh, it was constant because we were doing concerts every single week or, or my band was playing every other week. So it was like a lot. And eventually I started thinking about, I didn't even know what UI design was. It was product design was not what it was then. And I'm 38 years old. So that was a long time ago, um, yeah. but it was not the same thing. So I started kind of getting into UI and I was using something called Macromedia Fireworks before they were acquired by Adobe and um, foreshadowing a bit there. So I was working with Macromedia Fireworks and Photoshop and trying to learn like what would make a website cool hmm. and they looked nothing like what they do now and then apps don't look anything like they did then so it wasn't really about user experience it was about how cool can it look <laughs> so I took that infusion of being kind of in a bands and garage bands and all that fun stuff and brought that over into my design style and finally got an opportunity uh, nine years in working for um, Kodak I got an opportunity at this very tiny uh, startup design agency. I think they've been around for four years at that point and they needed a new designer, a brand designer, UI designer. They could do basically everything, wear multiple hats. Mm. And so um, I got the call, went over there and funny enough, my brother had just started there as a developer. So he told them that I was like, we always make this joke. I was like a level seven in CSS (laughs) and I was not, I didn't know how to do hardly anything. I could kind of reverse engineer some stuff. That was about it because of the MySpace days. And so um, got got over there, told them all my story, and they brought that up. They're like, hey, also I heard you could do CSS. I was like, no, but the, the, the kind of corny thing that most people say when they're trying to learn, but I can learn. And so yeah. um, I was kind of brought into that mostly design. They realized my design prowess was better than what they had because they were used to more doing websites. Hmm. And so I started getting to work with really incredible companies here in the Southeast and um, eventually – did a little bit of development, but they really started moving me more into their product design. They could sell more of that because I was getting really interested in that more than just doing websites because websites were so subjective. They weren't about functionality and things working as much as they are. And that's not true. They weren't then as much as they are now. And so, but UX and UI were starting to get really tracked with metrics and analytics. And I'd come from being a data analyst at Kodak. So I was really into that. And so um, long story short, I stayed there for a year and a half, no, a year and eight months. And um, made a joke that day to the other designer with me and said, hey, what if one of us gets let go today? We're just being silly. 
And uh, they go, John Howard, please come up. And so I got let go that day. <laughs> and it was the day I was wow. announcing I had a the day the day before that I announced I had a baby boy on the way. So it was a pretty big blow. Um, and so I had a little pity party, but they basically were shutting down all most of the design stuff. They let a few other people go. And um, they, I had a little pity party on the way home. I had about an hour and 20 minute drive home. So I did not miss that. Um, but I got all the way home and sat on my back porch and kind of did the little like, what am I going to do now? And about an hour later, um, came up with the idea for Black Airplane. And my brother had this name he had picked out since childhood that he had gotten for some reason a C Corp around. And so not a good fit for an agency, by the way, but I didn't know that. <laughs> so I adopted that and built a brand around it. It was just a name at that point, and uh, he had the domain. So I bought all the stuff, started setting things up, and um, started working on Dribble, the community for designers, hmm. and uh, really started realizing you could kind of game it in a way to move yourself up in wherever area you were back then. So I worked really, really, really hard to get my name as high up as I could in Atlanta, and that's when um, Coke called. So Coca-Cola, I reached out, and I had an office at that point, just me, and uh, 800 square feet. So it was tiny, but it was really cool because it was just mine. I'd set the whole thing up, and Coca-Cola's team shows up, and I was like, yeah, nobody's here today but me. <laughs> but it was just me. <laughs> so a little bit of uh, just, just trying to make sure I sounded bigger than I was because I didn't know what they expected. But we started a really great relationship, and um, – through that, to not make it too quick, but through that, I met another developer who worked for them in freelance. And so the person we were both mutually working with introduced us at my office. We all got lunch one day, and they just came out. They wanted to get kind of out of the city. And so this guy lived one county over from us, and um, he basically just introduced us, and we started really talking and having a good time. And I was like, that guy then started coming over to my office every once in a while to buy us lunch and just kind of like talk about freelance and have fun with it and talk about building an agency. And I had a few of the people working for me um, into that relationship pretty far in. So this was like two years that that happened. Hmm. Uh, so eventually we decided to kind of let that table that discussion. I moved away from Ackworth, which is where I'm at now, a little railroad town here in Georgia. And I moved to downtown Atlanta because I, I knew Coke was there and Home Depot and Chick-fil-A and all the companies that were big corporate Atlanta that I wanted to continue working with because we'd gotten a, big, a lot of big accounts at that point. Uh, mostly specifically studied on, um, we didn't do a lot of development. We tried to really stick to the UX and UI. It was provable, it was trackable, and we really caught people at this like high mark where they're super excited about the project before going for the long, like treacherous nine months of development. So it was really cool to catch them in that and then hand them back off to a development team of their own choosing. Right. So we, we really built that well. It was hard to do now is kind of to have to not be both things, but we were, we were actually just one side of that. It was really fun. And so we launched a little little startup hub called uh, Switchyards, and they allowed us to come in there, even though we weren't a startup. We were a design agency, and they allowed us to come in there and kind of be with these other startups. And um, the guy that I met at Coke came back around and said, let's meet downtown at Ted's Montana Grill. It was this random, Ted Turner's a big deal here in, in Atlanta because of the Bra Atlanta Braves and uh, TBS and Turner Sports. You know everything. He's done so much, and AMC and all of that, hmm. um, Cartoon Network, et cetera. But basically, we met at his little, like, chain of restaurants, and they said, look, we would love to, me and my friend, they brought a new guy I'd never met, we would love to partner with your agency, and you'll do the design, and we'll do, do the development. We'll kind of pat each other's backs and send each other work and do all that. But I had been kind of exhausted by those relationships before, so I told him I wasn't super interested in that because there's not really, usually developers are not handing designers work. It's it's usually the opposite because you're, you're usually building brand 
down. Hmm. Uh, so that was interesting to me. But I told him, it was like, you know, it's just not good, a good time. We're growing right now. We had, I had one full-time guy with me and a bunch of contractors. It was super fun. Everybody was local in Atlanta because we could kind of meet up. And um, long story short, three months went by, and they said, hey, they came back. We want to buy your agency. And so I'd never heard that because agencies don't sell normally or they merge right. with someone. So it was really – it ended up being more of an aqua-hire type uh, acquisition. So it was a sale, but I decided to stay on because they made it pretty fun to do that. Um, they set, set me up in a really good salary um, – of my own office and really continued building on a lot of the relationships we already had. And plus I could go tell every customer. Now we have an amazing development wing hmm. that I knew very well at that point. Cause I'd work with them through Coke. So that's kind of the story of how we got there. I know I might've left out some details if you have questions about that, but uh, it was a long time building probably five to six years total. And then I sold about four years ago this May. That's pretty cool. That's, that's pretty cool, man. What I'm really curious about is the point where you mentioned that you were able to game dribble. Yeah. How was that possible? So every, anything you could work on has a search algorithm. It's just kind of figuring out like what's, what's making people click on your materials. And now hmm. you can see people still trying to do these types of things, but people now it's a kind of a joke. Dribbles become in the, in the design world. Um, I just went to a design conference recently cause I still have so many friends <laughs> in that world, but I'm not a designer full time anymore. And so, uh, we kind of joke that dribbles now everybody's let in like everybody's been able to get into dribble and everybody's leaving these little corny comments that are like hey nice job nice colors looks neat how cool and it's just not really great critique and i think back then it i was really trying to do same what i do with twitter now i don't have a lot of followers but we've made a lot of money off twitter because i'm really trying to be intentional with relationships spend time asking people things even when somebody dms me not not pretending I wasn't just there a month ago or two months ago or a year ago and just kind of spending time with them, asking them good questions um, or people that, I, that are way more uh, voiced in what they teach, um, talking with them as well and really spending time to spend good comments, try to add to their conversation versus just being silly all the time. And I think by doing that plus posting really good work. I mean, I, work, I worked with the, hmm. the difference between what I was doing is I was working with a lot of real customers um, I didn't know there was a whole community of designers. I didn't know that even existed. Like now I know there's a whole community of founders and techies and podcast hosts and all of that. There's like these little microcosms of people that I didn't know existed in the design world. And so I really started just trying to be really intentional and post shots consistently and then go like talk to other people's uh, companies and teams inside Dribbble. And because of that, they would come back to mine. And because I had good content, I'd get tons of followers. And so in Atlanta back then, it was really not alphabetical, but it was uh, you would choose a profession. So if people were searching for UX or UI designer, they would do that. And then back then, the you can work anywhere movement was not a thing like it is today. Yeah. So they were looking for someone to work local to come into their office. So Atlanta, John Howard at one point was number one for UX, UI. And so wow. because of that, I was able to uh, just start getting work consistently. And I had more work to my profile and more work. And now you can go see my dribble profile now. I post every once in a while, but... They kind of killed that, and they started charging for it, and it was sold um, to Tiny TinyCo um, a while back. And it's really changed, in my opinion, the whole platform. Plus, I'm not in that world anymore, but, yeah, I was able right. to do that for a while. It was awesome. Definitely. What do you think about Dribble? Dribble is great to just look at beautiful design, but do you think that's a good time or that's good for designers right now? 
funny enough, um, I was talking to someone at Stripe today just about swag. We had a fun conversation like this. And I asked them, I said, you know what's funny to me? Your website, when it first came out, I don't know if you know, remember the, the homepage of website. You can go look at it now, Stripe. Hmm. When it came out, it was very unique. That was only a few years ago. It was crazy unique. And I remember everybody started copying that. I think that's the problem now with like a dribble. It's not that it's bad. It influences and skews people to not think creatively in their own vein, but they can see what everybody else is doing. And because of that, they want to imitate what everybody else is doing and maybe have their own spin, but you're seeing design trends lead the way versus like uniqueness, like true artistry. So I think for that, I'm a little bit of a critic of, but I'm tempted by the same things they are, you know, in, in other areas in marketing and in copywriting and um, things to talk about and tweeting. And, and we're doing uh, Twitter or Twitter live today. Me and my team did like we're doing stuff that other people are probably doing in different veins of thought. So I can't really knock it, but yes, it's probably giving a cheap version of what you should really do to find your own voice and design. That's my thought. Definitely. Definitely. There is a lot of content that looks very similar to each other. Right. Uh, I obviously go there a lot for inspiration. I know when I was oh, running my startup, right. every single day I would open Dribble. And I'm like, hey, I don't I just don't want to look at beautiful colors, but also beautiful implementation of right. different features, because that's super interesting. Uh, but I actually want to know the honest answer over here that when you were able to sell this agency, why don't you just think that, hey, let me go off. Let me take a huge break. Let me go off to Bora Bora. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it truly it's the agency didn't sell for a ton of money. And so mm. it was a, it was definitely a cool time. I could have taken a decent break, but I'm not that way anyways. I don't know if you've heard of Enneagram. We joke about it now. I used to kind of make fun of like what that is, but it's basically you find out which number you are. And I found out it's very realistic. It's how you react to the world. Mine is an Enneagram three, which is basically someone that has to continually get things done. It doesn't mean okay. that everything I do is the perfect quality, but it's hard for me just to sit and go, hey, we're good. It's hard to even when I'm building Slingshot, not be thinking of 18 other things that I want to build. Um, I know a lot of people are plagued with that, but that's really my mind's constantly going to a very annoying rate. And so I didn't take much time there. Plus, I mean, the guys I was handing this over to, it was going to be nice to build something that had my, like, my blood and tears and sweat infused into in a way um, where I saw these other people being able to take it to that next level. And they've absolutely killed it. It's now at, uh, I think, 32 to 35 employees. Um, the, one of the, the, the owners is now a is the mayor of the county next to me. So it's just a really cool, like, okay. story now. I'm not super right. close to them with anymore, um, but I'm really appreciative of what they've done with the brand. And uh, it was just a neat time. It was really cool. Like, it's hard. it was hard not to want to see what happens. And so I stayed there until March of 2020. And did not know the pandemic was happening. We had heard like little hints. Oh, and man. I left yeah. that was the best time to leave. I had no idea. So <laughs> it ended up working out okay. But yeah, that that was my break. Is like, oh my goodness. I just launched into the scariest time in like the last 15 years. So Th That's actually super crazy. So you dropped or you sort of left your agency at, in March 2020. What March happened 2020. after that? Um. So... I was able to, so it wasn't immediately that Slingshot had taken off. I'd started playing with um, the idea previous, we won't, we won't go into it yet, but the, but the idea previous to Slingshot now is uh, this, you would give points out to employees and they could redeem those points to get gifts. 
And I went and met with, I don't know if you MailChimp here in Atlanta, they recently saw, but I went and met with yeah. everybody. MailChimp, I had a great conversation with them. I kind of started doing what I would teach other people to do is really go around and test your product, make sure people want it before you launch it. Hmm. Um, sadly, that did not play in my favor because when I left and we launched the product, only two of those like 20 meetings I had or two or three companies said yes. Um, so that's pretty much realistic now of anything I've ever built. You kind of, until they're actually saying yes for sure and they're signed up, it's pretty rare. And ours is more of an enterprise offering. It's not just a SaaS platform. You're paying for a lot at once. And so I started taking on freelance at nights, which was really fun. I got some, it sounds silly. My friend, my friend told me, uh, he's basically like, you can always find money in different random places. Like, not really. It's just that I've been working for so long. You just happen to have contacts that were, that want right. to work with you. Not because I'm some amazing person. They just want to work with someone familiar. And so I was able to immediately go and start picking up freelance for a couple of agencies that were struggling to find good designers that they didn't have to like put their shoulder, hands on their shoulders and work with. So I was able to work pretty autonomously with two different agencies uh, for maybe 15, 20 hours a week and then build Slingshot during the day. So it was super, super fun. And um, I think I did that until December of 2020 and then went full time uh, in January. And how did Slingshot happen then? Were you building both of these on the side or did you already start Slingshot while you were in the agency? I was building... um, I had started Slingshot more in the, like, this is what it could do while I was at the agency and okay. on the side. So I was doing this at nighttime, and it was the point system that I told you about. So I was kind of, mm. I had a couple of companies say yes, just to test it out. So I wasn't making a lot of money there, but I was testing, like, can it handle this? Can, can these types of people use it? What are their common needs, et cetera? Um, but it was really fun. It was very transactional. We were allowing one-offs to happen, one-off prints. And that is not sustainable at all. There's still not a really a good technology that does that well. DTG and, and those, you can kind of get into those stories and Printful and Printify. You really lose. There's a lot of quality degradation that happens there. So it was fun. It was something to kind of do. But after that, I started um, talking with a bunch of people. And in 2017, Adobe flew me. This when I was still at the agency. Me and 65 or 66, I can't remember the exact number, other designers out to LA. And they paid for everything. They made us feel like, kings of design and queens of design it was just really super cool and they um put us up in a nice hotel figueroa hotel right across from the staples center and they paid for our whole week and i would never go to max because adobe max was like eighteen hundred dollars for a ticket yeah and out in la and you had to pay for all this stuff like i would never go there because i'm in atlanta but they paid for everything and the reason they did that is to introduce adobe xd so while i was there it was a new product they were releasing for designers so they were so cool to us. They, they just really did everything for us. They kept it in private rooms and private areas and best meals and all of that. So one day they put us up in the front and I saw at that point the people ops or the VP of people ops or whatever they call it, not HR, the tradition, the new, new name is really people operations of um, Adobe. And they were like a 21,000 employee thing. They made like 12 billion this year. It's a huge company. And she was sitting up front. And so I knew about that because I kind of studied people who I want to talk to. And like, is there any way I could ever get in that in a room with someone? Hmm. I love to sell if I can, you know, or at least have a conversation to see like, hey, would you at least look at it or give me some feedback? And I know that's aggressive, but I try to do it in a way that's serving them and, and not be aggressive. So what I did is mentioned it to uh, the person that was kind of my liaison for the week. And she goes, oh, she'll talk to you right now. And I was like, well, Ron Howard, who did like um, all these crazy movies, was about to speak. And so I was like, I don't want to go up there right now. There's only like five minutes until this. She goes, no, 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 come on, come on. And she grabs my hand and she leads me up front. And it was so like, just I was like dying. I was not prepped or ready to go talk about <laughs> Slingshot. 
And so she turns around. She's like, how you doing, John? I heard about this thing you're working on. And it wasn't really launched at that point. It kind of had like bugs and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, um, thank you so much for talking to me quickly. This is what I'm working on. I heard you're doing these kinds of initiatives. I would love just the opportunity to talk to you later and not put too much pressure on you. I was very like careful to not annoy her. Yeah. Yeah. And she was so loving and nice to me. And she was in the very front row of this huge auditorium. I was like up there hanging out with her. And so she ended up going to Walmart. So she's over all of Walmart's people ops. If you know how big that company is, it's insane. So she's a big time influencer in that world. And she was so kind to me. Um, and so I reached out to LinkedIn and LinkedIn after that. I came back from my trip. I was like, oh my goodness, I have this lead. Like we all think if you talk to someone, it means they're going to say yes. I've learned this over and over and over again. It never means that. Um, she was incredibly kind. But when I got back, I wrote her on LinkedIn and I have never heard from her since. Um, wrote her multiple times, try to be kind, try to do it in a way I sent her articles like, hey, I saw Walmart's doing this cool thing and trying to encourage what I already saw her doing, leaving very cool comments and nice things. Not not about swag, not about me. And uh, sometimes that, that kind of gets you more like conversation, but it didn't work at all. And um, luckily she had told somebody about it. I had no idea. So three, four months go by and on wow. Twitter I get a DM okay. from the community lead of adobe xd so it comes back around and she says hey john are you still doing that swag thing and adobe's so huge i'm like surely they have swag companies this is not this can't be a new thing but she had heard there was, there was a special reason she wanted to use us because the, at that point their team was completely distributed their employees were distributed their people and their conferences were distributed there were um, the people they were talking to were all at home so they needed something to kind of ramp that giving up, make these people feel at home loved. And so I worked all weekend to launch a Webflow version. So I got rid of all of the, the point system because I had talked to people at that point. It's like, even though these people said they were going to use the platform, it still requires them to do work, which means they've got to log in, put their teammates in, give out points, give out the reasons for points. And it just became, I was like, man, it's, it's, it's not solving what they thought it was solving. So then right. I made something where you just send a link out and you could redeem something right now. We have that live on our site now. Landed Adobe May of 2020. Okay. Yeah. So that conversation came back around. Yeah, so it was a couple of years. Conversation came back around. May of 2020, Adobe hits me up. That's what it was. And we launched that second thing, the new version. I built it on Webflow in a night or a weekend. Um, I had to do everything manual. There was no automation. I didn't even know Zapier was Zapier. Um, so I was doing all of the manual inputs of all this stuff. And we ran a conference with them. And it was like 350 recipients online. All these people redeeming things. I had my, laughingly, I had my son in there. who's like, was five or four and a half. And my wife, they didn't know that. Adobe had no idea. And we were just packing up little bags and making things look nice and having a cool fun. I put music on. We're having fun as a family building this thing. And that's kind of where it started. So that's what happened after the pandemic is finally Adobe came around. Finally, I worked to recreate this brand new version and relaunch Slingshot after that long. And it, it kicked off from there. That is a crazy story. Like you kept on following up with that person and that person didn't reply, but a second opportunity popped up for you. Right. That is super cool. I, I really appreciate these cold email stories because a lot of things for me also began with cold email. So this is always right. super cool. Uh, what happened then with Slingshot? And also, can you explain what was Slingshot before? You mentioned it was a point system and now what it is. It is basically where you just go and you say that I need this swag. 
give it to me. That's it. Yeah, for sure. Is that how it works? So most SaaS platforms now, you log in, you've got a dashboard, and you do the work. Even if you think it's saving you time and money and effort, you're doing the work. So our original version was that. It was you as an HR professional, people ops or marketing professional, log in, you add the person's email address. It still didn't take long, but you have to add their email address, add the recipient info, and then you could send them points for a good deed or something cool they did or for answering a question. And that was super cool to me. It was just a fun product to build. Um, we spent about twelve to fifteen thousand dollars on that product. No, it was eighteen. Wow. I'm sorry, eighteen thousand total to build all that, all the marketing, everything we did. Not a lot, but it was still a lot of money to kick out of my pocket. My wife was not like super excited about that, but it was a. I'm a big reinvestor in stuff that we're doing or I believe in. So it did give us some customers. We ended up making twelve thousand eight hundred dollars that first year with that. So we didn't make all the money back, but uh, we made some back, and it was like it kind of it made money. That was the cool thing. The second mm. thing is I realized people were just having to log in. You're having to remind them. You're having to build notification systems. And they have to have the excitement, not just to say, hey, you did a great job today, John, on the podcast, but also have to say, now I've got to go in and think about that, log into a system, send John points, and then write a reason for that. Great job on the podcast. And then it all kind of does its own thing. So I was like, there's got to be a simpler way than that. So we ended up doing this thing. Well, we, me at that point, I built this. I always act like there's this big company. At first, it was me just working hard. Um, I got amazing people now. It's like incredible. Uh, but back then I just built something in Webflow because I knew design. I loved Webflow. And it was basically, I built a landing page with a little thing where you could put a code box in there. So then Liz, the name of this person at Adobe, could just give the code out to John on this podcast to be done. Whatever way she normally communicates, if that's like email, I used to joke, it's very corny. But if it's email or post office or carrier pigeon, whatever you normally communicate with, just send the code. That's it. And that really started, you see people's eyes light up. They're like, oh, so I don't have to do any work. And I'm like, no, we'll pack it, we'll store it, we'll ship it, we'll deal with customs, et cetera, and all that. So we uh, set that up and Adobe really got excited and they just started telling other team members. We work with like uh, 14 of their, not divisions, but business units now. And it's not because I've gone to try to sell internally at Adobe. I've never been there. I've never spent time with anybody there other than them telling someone else about me. And that just speaks to the fact of how easy it was, but also how much we had to protect every shipment that came through. We couldn't fail. And so I think that was like really put a lot of pressure on myself because I was also working freelance at that point to try to like balance all of this and make it like really uniform. So that was the second platform. It's live today. You get out, give out a link any way you want to, you're done. That's it. That's it. That's cool. And that's how Slingshot grew up. And you also mentioned that there was a viral Twitter campaign that Adobe run. What was that? Yeah. So um, we're still working on the educational piece of this. I don't know if you study in marketing, but usually there's like something you can sell to someone that you do mm. in your general genre. So you could say in this exact podcast, hey, John, I run a podcast. And I would understand that. But then you would start kind of go, I run a podcast and we do, and kind of start saying your unique idea. And you sent some of that stuff over to me. And it was super cool. I Interesting. I started researching what you do and all that. It was super fun. And so for Slingshot, what we've learned is everybody understands swag. It's not a new thing. It might be a corny word, but everybody understands it. Right. Um, they know what apparel is. They don't even know why they're getting it, but they know they're going to spend some kind of marketing budget towards swag. So what we ended up doing is um, with the one campaign you're talking about, it's live on our website. We wrote a case study about it, is we put these call to actions at the end of those little funnels. So I will send you a code. You'll go claim an item or gift. And after that, and in 15 seconds time, this is very quick, 
you'll see something pop up and say, hey, you just got something free from me. Would you mind doing this thing for you? And so for you could give away, in this case for you, you could give away stickers. And at the end of that, for somebody who's interested in your podcast, they could then fill out a survey. They could, like say I was on the, on the call with you today. You could send me a little link. I could go claim the gift without you doing any work. And at the end mm. of that, it would ask me to do an action. You could say, you know what? I want the action to be John needs to fill out a survey of how well the podcast went. Or John needs to go give us five-star review. Or John needs to refer this to someone else or tweet about his time on the podcast. And so we set up those call to actions. And the one we did with Adobe specifically is it was with their beta group. So it was only 300 or so people that had taken part in a program called Illustrator. And if you're a designer, you would know what Illustrator is. It's really a pen tool program to kind of create vector graphics and vector art. It's the industry standard. And so they started creating a beta version of that for iPad because now you could use the little pen tool and it was really cool. So they have 300 really influential people that are designers using this platform. And so she wanted to reward them with some gifts. So we, we really set up the gifts. We got it all here. We got it all prepped and ready. And we set up the webpage to be put your password in, get your stuff. And then after that, we're going to ask you to tweet about, tweet about this. We put a canned response there, but they could also alter it. It'll pop up and say, you've probably seen these. It'll pop up and say, tweet this. Hmm. So it was really quick, really lightning fast. Well, it ended up being we had 27, or no, sorry, 23 and a half, 24% of people that claimed the gift voluntarily went and tweeted about it. That was not inclusive of all, we had hashtags on this thing. It wasn't inclusive of all the likes, all the retweets, all the threads and conversations. So much so that this lady I worked with, she's awesome. Her name's Jasmine Whitaker. She comes to me and goes, what's going on? She had forgotten that we did this. And so she said, my community managers want to know what's happening on Twitter right now because we're getting crazy amount of traffic and I have no idea why. And so I showed her the campaign. She goes, oh my goodness. And so I didn't lead with that. I led with swag. I led with us taking care of the swag campaign. But the educational piece is, yes, we can now take your swag that you're already spending tons of money on and Mm. make you get return on investment that. If you're trying to build your community like she was, if you're trying to get more sales, if you're trying to get more reviews for your app or for your podcast, it's all built in to do that. And you're already going to be giving away these things anyway. So that was mind-blowing to her. And that was a light bulb moment that, hey, we don't just have a swag company. We've got a marketing funnel-based swag company. So think swag like MailChimp, swag like billboards, swag like a, a traditional DTZ, DTZ um, or I'm sorry, DTZ metric or ad spend, whatever you're normally spending this money for, um, we're going to track it the same way and show you the return on investment for that. That is very interesting to me. Why? Because one thing on your website is swag closet, empty your right. swag closet. And when I was at Microsoft, we were actually leading a bunch of hackathons and hackathons means a lot of swag. We're basically handing out a bunch of swag, bunch of Microsoft t-shirts, water bottles, chargers, power banks, stuff like that. And yeah, my entire room was full of swag and I hated it. Uh, So this is really cool that you guys have brought a really good CTA or call to action to the swag that, hey, take the swag and do this one small thing for us. That's it. And that's how you go viral. This is very interesting way to think about it. How do you think? How do you think all the companies can use this right now uh, for physical events, for hackathons, for these big conferences that they do? Because right now this seems to be only working well when everything is online. Right. Yeah. So it seemed we started that way, thinking, "Man, I wonder if we're going to have enough runway to continue into the world where people go back to the office." Uh, luckily that's not happened with so many companies. They've realized, you know, we can work from home. We could save a ton of money there and we don't have to do the work. The cool thing 
that that's built into slingshot i'm kind of letting you under the hood here for this part because i didn't know this at all i did not build this intentionally there's no sneaky move by me in the team it worked out so well is that once people send you 18 boxes of swag or three boxes of swag or two boxes of swag and it's out of their house it's out of their closet it's out of that one office that everybody wanted to get back they do not want that swag back they want it off their counter they want it out so it's built in crazy retention. So us compared to normal SaaS, we, we haven't lost a customer in four months. And wow. our retention is insanely high and our churn is crazy low because people send us stuff, they get the value immediately and they don't have to do any work or touch the stuff again. I think that's the key thing. And then when they work with us in the future, we'll buy it all and it's all stored here. And you can see their faces. When we have the last person uh, we lost, it's because they started doing events here in Atlanta and they're only local to Atlanta. Uh, but we had been working with them because they were all distributed. So when we lost them, we had to send them back, not a pallet, but so funny that a lady showed up and we told her like, hey, listen, uh, this is a lot of boxes. We sent pictures too. Like this is a lot right. more than you probably think it is. And so she showed up here and because they were doing like 25 events a year with a van and she saw the swag. And this is a courier company. And she was like, oh my goodness. I was like, yes, I tried to tell them it's a lot of stuff. And so a few of the guys and myself, we got out there, we helped out and just like, we'll help you out. Cause it's like, they did not know this. It wasn't written down. She, they just got like a digital courier like number, like, Hey, go pick this stuff up. So it was super interesting um, that that's kind of built in is that now though, as we move into more people kind of trying to go back to work or even some companies kind of forcing your hand is that um, it's been interesting. So what we've started ta- telling people is, the way to play slingshot still into that market is you don't have to take all of your swag on the airport or to the airport. You don't have to take extra people with you, extra staff you were gonna pay to maintain this swag. You don't have to contain big spreadsheets and get people's names and numbers and all that. What you can do is set up an iPad, have them turn it over to them. They can put their information in, boom. By the time they get home, we're shipping the swag to their house. Uh, It saves them time. They're not having to carry all this heavy stuff. They can pick much higher quality items because we're doing it from from our warehouse versus like you having to carry certain sizes or certain types of things that you're having to pull out and go, what are you again, extra large? And you're having to ask weird questions that right now, honestly, certain things you say in 2022 are probably not fo- are probably <laughs> not good to say. And so asking people's size, it just still feels like a weird question. Yeah. Um, so when you're asking that, you're still having to go dig through something and oh, here's one and kind of shake it out and pull it out. And there's a lot of prep and setup that goes into those conferences for swag specifically because everybody expects they're getting them. So we have about three conferences coming up for different companies. One of those is Adobe. Um, that we're, We've now kind of got them in the mindset of do this instead, and they've all gone for it. I think that's super mm. important. Um, not everybody. We don't know if everybody's going to go for this. But we've, had, we've not had anybody say no yet, but we're trying to let them know you're going to spend less money, do less work, and take less people with you. And I think that's a big win for people trying to run a very streamlined conference efficiently and to get a higher return on investment for that. That also makes sense because now even conferences have went online. So people are having these virtual conferences and actually getting this viral campaign out there not only opens up your marketing to the audience, your core audience, but also to the other audience. And yeah, that just helps. That just helps a lot. And that's pretty cool. Uh, What's your plan with Slingshot now? And what is the growth rate that you are growing at? Yeah, so... um... I'll do the growth rate first. I won't do numbers. I'm really private with that, but I will tell you percentages. Okay. Um, All right. It's important. 
Um, so I mean, it's neat for us. The, the numbers are a little side from that. But January, I, I will say, yeah, January, year over year, we were like 836% growth or something. It was, some, it was in the 830-somethings. Um, February was 220, so it dropped a little bit in February. And then March, we are at 90%. So we had a little dip in March. April now, we're over, I mean, we're at the end of April now. We're at about 160 to 100. I'm sorry, we're at 200 something percent now. So we're back up to where we should be on the, the month over, I'm sorry, year over year for the month. Um, so it's been really, really great growth for us. And um, we're still bootstrapped. We have no funding to date. We're not against that, but really you can see we had a pretty wild ride to figure out the right methodology. And because we're not just a SaaS platform, which we do have that, we also have the whole logistical side of things, which is a nightmare. That's why not many people want to start businesses that are also both. Um, so it's a really weird industry to be in. And we've had to deal with international customs and shipping and storage and different rates and expenditures and fees and things that nobody working in SaaS, and I've done it, I can say I've done both, and I've done an agency. Nothing's been as crazy financially as what we're doing now and the number of ducks you have to have in a row to run a business like this. Um, so we've been in constant war training grounds, learning stuff every day. It's very hard, very strenuous. So right now we're kind of gearing up towards, should we go? Well, basically here's the question I've been posing to the team. We have our, our deck complete. So our pitch deck is complete, is complete. We know that valuation's gone way down. We're not looking for some crazy valuation anyways, but we know that early stage and seed rounds are doing really well right now. People are still getting in pretty hot in those. Hmm. Uh, we have a lot of introductions, a lot of friends now because we work with so many startups that also have raised a lot of money. A lot of people have told us now we'll see if it actually happens. Same with the, the Adobe thing. Um, a lot of people have said, hey, we got you. When y'all go to pitch this thing, we got you. And we've sent them our pitch decks to kind of take a look, to see our numbers, to actually start kind of giving us feedback, help us strip out so much we didn't need to show. Like, you don't even need that. They don't even ask those questions. A lot of things we were worried about because we've never raised, um, it's made our – really our focus really well. And I can tell you one number to at least kind of whet your appetite there. Our average contract value right now per customer is around uh, 13 to $15,000. So that's per, per customer. That's not lifetime value yet because we want to measure over two year course period. But um, average contract value is crazy high. Um, we have lots of people subscribing now. We even introduced a free plan that really just determines how much you're going to pay for your swag, your storage and your fulfillment. But um, a lot of things have changed. It's running so smoothly now. We know our numbers like insanely well. Um, I joke about that every morning we have to look at the numbers. I hate it. I absolutely hate looking at the numbers. I hate looking at the bank. I just want to go build. But it's made it so easy um, to really kind of keep my mind in war mode that I know every single day we're going out fighting for that next conversation or, or, or sale or just kind of getting ourselves uh, our, our mantra. One of our guys came up with this. Our mantra is emerge from obscurity is there's a lot of giant swag companies out there. For right now, we're just getting out there and letting people know about us like crazy. And that's been so much fun. So we've had some crazy fun conversations with people because we're like, we're going to let you know who we are now. <laughs> I can kind of really come out with a brand. And um, that's just been awesome. We've been getting tons of leads now. I, mean, I keep saying I want more, uh, more at-bats, like a baseball term. I want more at-bats so I can get more home runs, which are sales. And it's corny, but it's I've gotten so many more at-bats now. I get like so many more opportunities to sell. We don't win everybody but everybody's interested. Every single person I talk to is like, yeah, how can we make this work? It usually comes down to um, price. Can they work with us with the price? So that's really really the determinant factor. And we don't even introduce that till afterwards. That's very intentional because of the way that we sell things. 
Um, hmm. It's not easy just to say, here's our price for a SaaS platform. Um, yeah. It's not to be obscure. We might introduce that one day. It's more because of the way you have to sell a services type SaaS platform like what we do. That's so true. That's so true. I know like I get into a bunch of B2B conversations and price is introduced at the very end. And that is very intentional because you want to make sure that this person understands the value rather than just looking at the price and be like, all right, I cannot afford that. Cancel, cut off. What do you think is the value of swag? Or do you put yourself as a swag company or as a growth hacking or marketing company? I would love to say the latter. We are moving towards that. We're going to release a full SaaS platform that's going to kind of blow your mind, the stuff you can do. Have you ever used Zapier? I have. Okay, so you understand recipes or things where this app goes to this app. Uh, we're working on that like crazy. So you can set, set up a swag company where you want to get more podcast followers or more podcast downloads. We're going to have an app that you can pair to that on the CTA side that will automatically spell out the whole template for you. You could change a few words here and there you want. Launch it in 30 seconds and have whatever swag you want to give away to that specific audience and send the link out. Then you could A-B test it with another thing. Well, let's try doing the downloads. Let's also A-B test the same exact audience with um, Twitter, uh, talking about my podcast on Twitter, your, your podcast. And so that's what we're moving towards. But to be transparent, right now we're not there. Most of the people that come to us on the educational side, you can see our H1, our big like call to action on our site is swag is awesome, managing it sucks. And we say that because viscerally people understand that. Like, it's awesome. Everybody loves swag. So the value on swag is more intrinsic value that people understand. It's exciting. It's fun. It's cool to wear. Um, it's fun to share. It's fun to give away and, and get people excited about. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a marketing expense. We can now tell marketers and people ops people, you can build your community faster, people ops. You can grow your company faster through brand awareness, marketing, and you can grow your sales quota and sales team like we've done. Our right. own giveaways at 32% right now, so you know. The one on the bottom of our site, 32% of the people that use our giveaway to get that little sticker pack jump on a Calendly call with me. It's crazy high, the, 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 the click-through and conversion rate on that. So for other companies, we can't really measure conversion rate because we're not on their side of the, of the platform, but we can measure click-through rates. And so we've started implementing with all of our customers now. They're just now getting educated as to why that's important. So I think as we start kind of slowly shifting, you're going to see over the next six months to a year, Slingshot's not going to be just a swag company. It's going to be like if you're buying swag and you're going to expense this and you expect something like this from a higher up or someone on your team, this is the only way to go. It's not going to be us versus other swag companies. It's going to be us is the only way to go if you're going to use swag to market and grow something, uh, community, brand awareness, or sales. That is very interesting. Completely different, yeah. But still swag at the crux of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like you are totally changing the way how you think about swag because earlier swag was simply like a giveaway. You are a big company, you just give away swag. But right. now you're attaching this very strong metric to it and now people will think of it as an investment rather than just a cool thing to do. Uh, I'm and actually the curious. the action is optional too. That's the big thing we fought for because some of the bigger companies we've worked with really wanted the call to action to be first. Like you mm. have to do something in order to get this swag. Uh, we forced our hand on that. They were really loving, but it was a some some battles happened and it's all good. We won <laughs> because we're like, you have to use our platform the way we designed it. And the reason is I come from a UX background with Coca-Cola. That's so I can kind of like flex those muscles a little bit only to say you're going to get bad leads if you make them do something to get something. You're going to get great leads if they do something because they wanted to. 
And the best way to do that is catch them in a psychological experience when they go, I just got something for free. Sure, I'll do that thing for you that you've asked me to do. And that's a mind shift for people. It's like, yeah, you might have a smaller click-through rate, but it's actual people that really wanted to do the thing that you're asking them to do on the call to action side. That's been the kind of psychology we put behind it. We've really stuck to our guns there. We've not changed our platform at all. We made it more efficient. We've moved things around to make it the clicks faster and easier and load, load times faster. But really the platform right now is what it is. It's worked perfectly since May of 2020 when we launched it. Wow. I know swag is a very broad term. It has a bunch of things within it. What is your most popular swag that people usually go for, the big companies, your clients? Number one's kind of boring, but it's t-shirts. Um, we can do some really right. fun ones, but number one, but number number one that we have in our warehouse right now, as far as number of SKUs, are paper paper materials like note cards and boxes and things like that. Sounds funny, but custom boxes. Um, and then um, the other one, probably comparable to that, would be stickers. Stickers are way up there uh, because everybody wants them and they want multiples per box usually or bag. Like, hey, send them three, send them two, and they want variants. And it's probably the cheapest thing you could spend money on i.e. why we we use it on our own site to get leads right it's just a sticker pack we don't do big huge swag because you know we're banking on only a few of those people 32 percent of them right now coming through and signing up for a call it doesn't mean we'll close them but uh it's crazy crazy conversion rate on that so it's stickers and t-shirts definitely just jumping on the call that is a great way to get more awareness and they might if they might they if they are not in it they might actually let their friends know and just by word of mouth it just grows uh i'm actually like i'm actually considering this maybe for my podcast i will try slingshot let's do it maybe stickers the cheapest way to do it start (laughs) smart yeah if you start smart and it works you'll go okay let's do something fun and bigger and change the audience we're talking to so it's always a fun thing i even a funny thing it's not like it happens all the time I would say probably five to six times in the last year because people get so excited about swag and they've never heard it done this way on the phone. They're like, are you investing? And I'm like, no, we're not investing right now, but I'm sorry, not investing. Are you taking investment? That's what it means. Yeah. I'm definitely not investing. Um, are you taking investment? And it's exciting. Cause people are like, I don't, I get it. I get it. Shut up, John, shut up. We already get it. It works. Uh, but they want to talk about it because it's like, that's kind of unique. Like I've never heard of it done that way. And because I can show them the metrics and statistics to back it up, uh, which is super neat. So we're not positioned that way yet. We're really, it's a teaching thing, an educational piece. But once we launch our new platform, you won't probably talk to me as much people or anybody on sales. You'll just sign up directly on the platform, get a thing going in around 30 seconds and order your swag. Um, So it'll be built into the education of how you onboard. Um, So really excited to get that going. Plus, we'll have a much higher onboarding rate. But right now, it's a lot of fun. We're learning so much with each customer, like you said. It's kind of a... Just have a fun conversation, serve them. And later, like you said, even if they don't use us, when they're ready to use us or use a platform at all, they're going to come to us. Um, it's either going to be that or they use it, they, they set it up themselves in their own little house and whatever. So we're either competing with themselves or us, which has been really, really great. <laughs> that's, that's a great way to put it. They're either competing with themselves or you guys. Because, we, we yeah. We pitch it like that. In our sales meetings, it's basically we developed a new framework to not be too nerdy. But uh, my brother I've hired for operations. We've not worked together in 10 years, and he's just awesome. I told you he worked with me at that old at the, at the uh, agency years ago. Uh, but he's just been incredible. It's like bringing my brain into our group. It just knows way, about, way, more, way more than anything I know about every subject, it seems like. And so he sat behind me. I didn't know, listening to a couple. I knew he was back here, but listening to a couple sales calls one day. And he just started taking down notes. And we ended up redeveloping the framework that day 
in like an hour and a half. And that, that afternoon I had another call or two calls that afternoon. We got to try it, that, that framework we just developed at lunchtime on someone that night. It was way quicker. We got way better information. And at the end of it, they were pitted against themselves. It's either I'm going to do this or y'all are. And so we ended that conversation like that's what we, that's the sentiment we want every single time. Like it sucks so bad to do this, but the ending is so great that I would just rather y'all do it. And so it comes down to price usually on people um, because they're going to end up having to do the whole thing themselves. So that's really been a fun way to kind of look at that. Definitely. This is a great framework. Even before you talked about some psychology aspect, is this something that was psychology driven or is this something you already did and they're like, oh, this is a psychology that makes sense and this is why people are doing it? Yeah, um, I, won't, I, won't, I won't go through the whole thing, but since it's kind of interesting, we do something like a strategy call with people, which I know that's kind of lame, like strategy call. But this is what we do. I'll go through it really quickly. So we start with these big bullet points. Sections are pleasantries. I try to connect mm. with you. I want to really know where you are. So I'm like, where in the world are you? What do you do? What's your organization do? And it really breaks the mold down to kind of have a conversation, which to be honest, I'm an extrovert. So I want to meet people all the time. Like that's just my thing. So it's a really right. fun time for me to have fun with people and not sell them. It's just like a cool little moment there. So that's about like the, honestly, it's about one half the call. It's just talking about what they're doing, what they're interested in, what's a fun project they're working on. Then immediately we drop into the problem. So understand their purpose. What's got you interested in swag? And have you ever done this in the past? Really the point of that is to prod and find out, are there things that you've done before that you hated? Because we get customers, I'm not going to name names, but we get customers quite often from competitors of ours. And I'd say competitors, they're much larger than we are, but they're very known on Twitter. And we win those battles a lot in the Twitter threads when people tag us because we're like DMing, <laughs> we're showing stuff, we got statistics to back it up and all that fun stuff. Um, and if I named them, you would probably know some of them. But um, we ask them, have you had any problems before? And that usually brings out, yeah, it sucks. I had to fill up my whole closet. Or right over here, I'll show you. I've got all the stuff laying in the floor. Or yeah, we couldn't get something to Argentina or Brazil or India. Um, you'd mentioned India. We shipped to India very successfully. And that's a part that people are just struggling because it's so hard to get the addresses right. Um, we've figured right. out a lot of that. We found a lot of liaison ways to do that. And then we go into the particulars, which is the third section. So it's gone pleasantries, problem, particulars is how many recipients are you trying to reach? Um, and, and we always tell them, like, I'm not holding you to this number. Just tell me what's your dream scenario. Let's believe, let's dream together. What's the most fun way to do this? What's the swag that you're interested in? Um, is this ongoing or event specific? And then where are your recipients located? So by the time we're done with this, we're like, we got them primed to like what they've dealt with, how they're feeling. And then we go into the part where's the psychology I told you about. So this is the agitating. I don't know if you've heard of agitating a problem. You're doing that so you can end up being the solution. So it'll be like, if you do this yourself, you're gonna have to gather sizes and addresses. You're gonna have to do international customs, which sucks. You're gonna have to do returns and customer service and packing parties, which are fun. You can get pizza for everybody and put on some music. But after that first time, they're not fun. Nobody in the office wants to do them. And then lastly, you're gonna have to store the swag somewhere. So we go through really agitating that and kind of showing them like, that's what you're gonna have to do if you're doing it on your own. We don't make them feel bad. We just kind of lay it out. That's what you're gonna have to do. Uh, but with Slingshot, you're not going to have to. And that's when we kind of lay out like, here's what we do. And they're kind of feeling the release of, yeah, that did suck. That did sound like it was the worst. And now I don't have to do that anymore. So right. it really kind of brings people home into realizing I'm going to either do that, not some other swag company. I'm going to have to do it. Or y'all are absolutely the best because y'all know this world like crazy. And you'll make sure it's 100% successful. Um, and so that's really the presentation framework that we do for sales. That's pretty cool. I was about to ask you, how do you sell? You just laid out the entire framework. Right now I'm learning or not learning. I'm like actually learning, but I'm experiencing sales a lot because I'm in that growth phase of growing our startup 
uh, growing the company I'm working at. And I am seeing these conversations, how these conversations turn out that, you know, you first of all try to reach out to as many people as possible. You try to learn about what do they do. Uh, if you directly reach out to them with the problem that, hey, buy this that I'm selling, they yeah. will just not, never, that just never happens. What have you learned? Like you, again, went through the entire thing where you mentioned that pleasantries was super important for you, just understanding more about you as a person. Uh, but yeah, what else overall from this entire sales experiences that you have been through? Well, uh, transparently, I think it's fun to kind of talk about not the fun stuff. So um, transparently in December, our bank account hit an area which scared me. It never had hit that before. And we found out there were some fees we didn't know about, all those kind of stuff from the bank. Um, international customs and things just hit you with fees later you don't know about them we had a bunch of other crazy things happen it wasn't mismanagement of money um, we we're really good about knowing what we're spending super careful in hiring but it did just drop below a threshold enough to make me go whoa i've never seen that before but it wasn't the worst it was just more like okay i need to get in preparatory mode for something like we kind of get some people together um, leadership team and kind of talk that through so that kind of put me on like a, i've got to start becoming a really good salesperson and I don't know how to do that. I've never done that before. I've always won sales through my personality, not because I'm either like me or you're like kind of annoyed by me, to be honest, because I'm not, I'm an, I'm for introverts. I might be a little too much. I'm a heavy hand. You know, I, I like having fun with people and talking to you. And that might be heavy for some people, but it's really worked well in the agency days. It's how I worked through Coke and a bunch of other companies here in Atlanta. And then it really served me through Slingshot. It's been a crazy bloom and blossoming of that. I've been so incredibly thankful. But when that happened in the bank, I was like, no, now I got to framework this. Like it's got to be better than I've ever done. Um, and I did not know how to do that. So I called quite a few people and just said, hey, I want to learn. Like show me what's the crazy thing to do. What should I do? And they all had different options and things that work for them. Just like I would subjectively tell you, it's not that there's been a certain thing because it does come down to personality. It comes down to, I even like this person I'm talking to. Do I like their team? Do they seem aligned with the kind of mission that we have? Do they kind of, do they understand out of the gate what we're doing? Or are they trying to sell me a product? So it is hard to do the kind of sales that I do. And the reason that is is because I'm very, very relationally sales-based. Um, I want to have, this might be the dorkiest thing and saying, sounds super superficial. It's not. I kind of want to be friends with the people I'm talking to. So after I leave this podcast with you, I don't want to be like, okay, I'm done with them. We're all done. I want to have a conversation later, see how you're doing. Like, what's been going on? How's the podcast going? How's the startup going? I like to keep that going, not just so I can go, go win uh, a deal from you, but I really love those relationships. So the Twitter DMs became my saving grace for that. Um, I started trying to really learn how to cold framework, like do a framework of cold outreach and responses. That didn't right. work for me. I mean, I met with quite a few people. If they hear this, because I might post it later, um, they're awesome. It just didn't work for what we were trying to do. I tried doing the cold framework. So what I started doing is really just serving people up with asking them how they're doing, what are they working on? And then leaving them alone, like not going back and being like, okay, now that I know that here, I want to sell. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Um, so I just met a lot of interesting people. Some of them did not sign up ever. And they're just, we're, we're, we're kind of friends online. We kind of back each other. Whenever there's somebody that needs swag, I'll get tagged in these really awesome tweets. And I don't even have to do anything to ask for those. When their product needs to be used, I'll tag them. Um, like if somebody asked me today, like, Hey, is there a cool podcast I could be on? I would tag you. Like it works out that way where you start kind of creating these people that have each other's backs in that community. Um, and that's really what really built up more of the leads than anything is building up community. It happened to ha it had, had to happen a lot faster because I was in kind of freak mode. I was like, Whoa, what's happening? 
we're rapidly seeing money go and we're not seeing it rise at the same inflection point I had before. Um, so we stopped all that. We fixed that. We're climbing out slowly over that. It's been a long road to get out of all that. But man, it has paid its dividends. Um, our leads and calls are up like, I'd say 10x over a month. Sales are up like 10x over a month as far as like leads and all that because we've invested so much back then in the scary mode. Um, same with our operations, same with our numbers and finances and everything we've done, operations, even logistics in our warehouse, everything is crazy streamlined because we had that scary moment. And I think because of that, it kind of made me have to figure out a way to sell. I just got more intently observant of communicating with people, what they're into, what they're talking about, and just, just talking to them, not asking them anything about swag at all, at all, zero. And eventually if they go check me out, they're going to say, hey, you do swag, let's talk. Um, and then the last thing that was really crazy on Twitter, because Twitter's been our goldmine, to be honest, I only have like 1,300 followers. I am not popular at all. Most of that has come this year, though. Um, I had a very stagnant Twitter for, for years and didn't know how to use it. Um, but I built a community now. It's very small, and we've made a ton of money off of Twitter because of that tiny, tiny community. Another part of that I didn't know is you can kind of look at Twitter. I was talking with our team about this. You can look at Twitter almost like you're on forums back in the day or message boards. So if you know somebody has the captive audience that you want, or that want to communicate to, you don't go grab those people and go respond to those people. You just respond to that person. And by by them responding back to you, it heightens the uh, response in all these people. I had one, uh, I don't want to mention names. This happened multiple times. Last week I had one where I posted this crazy thing about this random startup that had issues. And I posted it, I know you might know who the startup is, but I posted <laughs> this little thread about it. Um, right. It wasn't a bashing thread. It yeah. was one a while back to say, if you know who's winning this, or if you want to know who's winning the uh, the, the one-click checkout war, here are the statistics. I posted that, um, and I thought I did a good job of grabbing the statistics where I could. It was based on installs. Well, that went for me. That went viral. I ended up getting like twenty leads off that, um, and I got oh, over wow. one hundred and twenty followers in one day um, off of that that thread because I posted it when somebody was talking about. I can't believe this company spent all this money and raised all this money and did all this stupid stuff and they were bashing it. So all I did was, yeah, I wonder if it was easier to tell that earlier on. I just kind of put my own little, I didn't go bash. I just said like, it might've been easier to tell that earlier on. I posted my little response thread to that. So everybody started going off that traffic over to mine and responding and doing all this kind of stuff. And man, we got a ton of leads off that. And that's happened like three times in the last three weeks, just with different things I've said less on my traffic more when I'm responding very very well to someone else's thread that already has the traffic. Um, it sounds like I'm gamifying it, but honestly, I mean, I got to be transparent. I'm trying to get business. So yeah, um, I want to make friendships too, but also I want to get business. I'm not going to waste my time all day tweeting. If it's just me having fun, it's just too much work. So it's paid dividends like crazy just to be on Twitter more than SEO or any of that stuff has. Definitely, man. You mentioned that most of your followers came during the pandemic. I believe that's mostly everyone because right before this pandemic before elon was trying to buy twitter twitter right. wasn't that cool twitter just became cool right now and it's so crazy who knows what's gonna happen next in like the next six months but uh maybe no nothing idea. i don't know it's, uh, <laughs> it's in a weird spot now i hope it doesn't i hope he doesn't change anything like dribble did and then we're yeah finding a new audience new lane but right now it's great yeah and it's really interesting that you mentioned about this company the one click checkout company which right. was criticized to be the or criticized to be just a swag company right how do you 
think about that. Funny enough, I had the GM of merchandising for that company on a Twitter Spaces today live. So I can tweet oh, wow. about that later. I can send you that on DMs. Okay. Uh, okay. We had him for an hour. His name's Gary Darna. He's an awesome person. I can say that because he was running that wing. Had nothing to do with the other criticisms that had come down on the company. Um, yeah. Now, he had all the money to kind of go spend on that, but it wasn't his choice to spend that money. Um, hmm. He just managed the store. So I had him on to kind of really talk about not the criticism of the company as whole, of whole, but how in the world did that take place and formulate, and what was your hand in it, and how did that grow? And so we kind of had like a little roundtable discussion around that, and he was super cool and awesome, awesome about it. Um, really, I wouldn't criticize it as much as saying that they were just a swag company. Um, I actually talked to their founder and to their mm -hmm. lead marketer to do swag for them back in t the end of 2020. Wow. Uh, so we had a pretty deep conversation. I still have those DM threads back and forth of both of them. We ended up pitching one thing to them. They ended up going to DTG printing the one-offs. That's how they kicked off their, their uh, the big viral campaign of the hoodies. And so he said something today. Gary said something that I really liked. He said something like, Sometimes these companies, even they do do audaciously stupid things with their money, even though they take crazy risk, somebody has to take that crazy big swing and you're either going to get destroyed because of the crazy big swing and how ridiculous you acted with that money, or you're going to get praised because it worked. And um, in my thread, someone responded to one of his comments and says, nobody can learn anything from this company or the swag giveaways that they did or swag sales they did. I loved his response on Twitter. He said, um, the very fact that you came here to criticize me tells me that the marketing campaign was a success. And I thought that was a cool way of thinking about it. You can kind of like separate almost different initiatives and marketing initiatives from the company. Now, is the company smart for taking on those initiatives? No, you could say big criticism there, but can you say it was successful in the vein of thought of brand awareness? Yes. It's probably the most controversial totally. piece of swag of all time from a company. Yeah. And at the same time, probably has the most, has, has had the most sales and impressions of any company for their swag. Over 70,000 units sold. Um, now they were for a dollar and $5 at times, but still like <laughs> it's pretty hard to beat that with any company to critique them on. Was that smart? No, I don't think so. But we're all seeing this on the tail end of what happened. So it was just really fun to kind of talk to somebody that wasn't really about the critique, but more about, did you have fun? Was it cool what you got to work on? What are your thoughts there? And, and they helped me kind of separate the two. So it was really interesting. Definitely. When I read about this entire scenario, it made me uh, recall the entire thread I read by Trunk about Red Bull. And he right. wrote about this entire piece where he said that Red Bull, the drink, Anybody can do, anybody can make it. Oh yeah, it it's open sourced it. recipe. It's anybody can too. make it exactly. But what Red Bull is, it's basically just a marketing company, and that's the reason right. they do all these crazy stunts and uh, fund or run a Formula One team, which is super expensive. This is the only reason they do it because they are just a marketing company. The recipe, anybody can go and make it. But Red Bull is the brand. Red Bull is the marketing. So yeah, if you like, a couple of months ago, nobody had any idea about. Uh, how bad the metrics of fast was. They just knew that I know fast and a lot of smart people are working in fast. That's it. Yeah, and I think that's when I, when, reason people like my thread, not because I'm smart, I wasn't, uh, and I'm not, 
but I just posted <laughs> installs. I was like, you can kind of get a visibility into these companies by looking at the amount of installs. And there was a company, I can't remember the name of them, that allows you to see that. If you have a plug-in at all, it doesn't matter which platform, if you own a plug-in and you're selling it and you're peddling it, you can't make up the numbers. And it's, oh, it's called BuiltWith.com. Uh, okay. And they built this awesome, it's kind of an old-looking site, but it can monitor that. So I was able to post statistics of all these one-click checkouts that could work outside of a uh, – so I didn't include Amazon, Amazon did not include Shopify, did not include any of the ones that have inclusive uh, proprietary, but hmm. more ones that you can install in your local thing. Because I got a lot of critique. I'm like, why aren't you showing their stats? I'm like, it's not the same thing. Um, right. So with those numbers, you could have called it pretty early. The one I had slightly wrong, which might come to play out, honestly, not critiquing them, but it could come out to play the same way as Bolt. Yeah. Um, that one seems a little odd, too. I don't know. I've seen their, their, their numbers look pretty decent. But their valuation is so insanely high that it's going to be hard to ever supersede that. Um, so maybe it's just the technology they're building. But they've gotten tons. They got sued today. A lot of criticism came out today. Oh wow! Okay. Um, just about the technology. So I, I, you know, right. you never know about these people. But but you can also say they're trying new things. Maybe not new, but they're trying them in new ways that are very interesting. And I want to at least give them applause for that little that little piece. I want to give them applause for because it's very interesting to watch. And I've never done anything to that same capability. Um, in that same like notoriety way, um, but we're trying to build a healthy business now, and I think it's if nothing else, it's teaching us a lot, especially with uh, Netflix and Hulu releasing all these downfall of this company and downfall right. of this company. They're right. crazy interesting. Um, so expect to see both of those companies, or maybe one of them, soon to at least be critiqued in some kind of documentary because it's just it's some stuff is too good to be true. Uh, but who knows? I, the Bolt seems to be killing it. Um, fast, sadly, we all know the story there, and it seems like the, they're all there. He told me today that all of their employees found jobs almost immediately, so that's great. Yeah, yeah, they pretty much found a good deal for the employees. Most of them went to a firm, which is oh, yeah, yeah. by now pay later company, and right. then the others definitely they had a really good talent, and they should be able to find good companies or yeah, good employees. Employers, sorry. Uh, yeah, and I think the, the, the employees were kind of unfairly critiqued as well when you go to a company like that, you're just, you know that there's burn happening, hmm. but at the same time, you're not paying attention to that. You're just building a product that everybody's telling you is working. And if I keep telling my employees and team, it's working, it's working, we're building the thing and it's not really, it's kind of on me. Like I'm the one that's got to hmm. distill that information down to say, it's not working. Here's what we got to do. We did that back in last December. Um, we shifting some things around with the stuff that we could shift. Some stuff we just figured it out and fixed it. But the stuff we could shift, we shifted things. And we're more lean and mean now. Companies of that size, when you're burning, they said it wasn't 10 million a month, but even if it was yeah. 5 million a month, you're burning that kind of ec or, or money every month. You can't be doing everything right. And when you have 90 salespeople on staff, and like that was the craziest number I heard, above and beyond the money, they said they had 90 salespeople. I wanted to know, biggest question was, what were y'all doing? Like that's see, I would I wouldn't even have more than one salesperson if they're not making, you know, exactly. sixty. But I'm sure there was a reason. It's just stuff yeah. like that. I I can't really explain on the the employee's behalf because that does seem pretty crazy. And it seems like if I'm a, an employee of one of ninety, and our total take home this month was six hundred all time, not in, yeah. including the swag. I don't know if I'm a good salesperson, or at least I don't know how to sell this product, and I would probably be out quickly. But maybe that wasn't transparent. There's a lot of stuff we'll find out in probably the coming year or so. I would love to know that one. That's the one question I would love. So if you could find it out, 
how did 90, 90 sales team members only get 600,000? And I would love to know why they stayed because that's crazy to me. Um, there's probably a good reason. I just want to know why. Yeah. I didn't have any idea that they had 90 salespeople because that just doesn't make sense. Like I was- I could be in, wrong. It was in an article that, that they posted, but I could be completely wrong there. Yeah, yeah. But it's also crazy how he just hopped on a podcast just a week after closing. Oh, yeah. And uh, that, that was crazy. But all right. I would hide move. out for a year, probably. <laughs> Even if I knew I was a good guy and I'd messed up. Yeah. Like if I knew I was right and everybody was right and that was wrong, I would still have to go hide. I don't know if I could- <laughs> face it so fast like or fast no yeah. pun intended as fastly <laughs> as he did that was impressive i guess because and that his investors said they would invest again and team, some team members said they would join him again so i guess we're, we're probably wow. just not hearing all the story like as salacious things are usually when they're written about so hopefully it works out great for them um it's a cool product cool brand who knows <laughs> yeah just getting the domain name was the best thing they ever, oh, ever that's done that's incredible yeah super smart Exactly. But let's move on to bootstrapping. What are your thoughts on bootstrapping? You have been able to bootstrap the way all through your two agency as well as this slingshot. How do you see bootstrapping right now? Um, I've I've launched probably, and I'll write about them one day because it was really fun. I've launched about nine products bootstrapped. Um, not just the agency. The agency, funny enough, was my first real success. Okay. Uh, and that was just eight years ago or so. It's not a long time ago, uh, but I've launched stuff since I was really young and bootstrapping to me, I've heard people critique it as a privilege. Only privileged hmm. people can do it. So I'm going to kind of open that up now for myself. There's a lot of that word is, is thrown around. So I don't want to get into the, the breaking it down. But for me, I've always kind of taken when they throw it with money to bootstrap, I've always taken offense to that part because bootstra bootstrapping, you're only rooting on yourself. Like, I feel like there's nobody rooting for you except yourself. That's the main difference, I feel like, that when you have investors. And until you get customers, you're really only rooting on yourself and banking on yourself. Um, to me, um, I grew up in a very incredibly poor family. That's not to cry hmm. pity party. I've never even probably shared that anywhere. Uh, I definitely don't do it on Twitter. But I grew up in a poor family. So whenever I hear, like, everybody has it great and all these types of people have it great, I'm like, I we grew up with nothing. And I could never do what any of my friends did. I was always embarrassed about that, even to high school. When I first got my first job when I was 15, it was just really, really embarrassing. I'm, I know some incredible stories, but because of that in my life, um, we've learned to be really scrappy. And my grandma, who would care less about making a dollar, um, really stepped in and took care of my family and my, my brother and my sister and really did a, the most God-awesome thing that anybody could do to step in and love us during this time when I was young. And she recently passed away and it was really hard because I'm like, man, she showed me how to do this stuff and not care so much about the money, but just like get out there and kind of be gritty with it. And so I've never talked about the poor thing publicly on like anything like this or Twitter because people kind of think that's like a crutch. I'm not using it as a crutch. Yeah. Bootstrapping kind of, you need to have a little bit of that built into you, a little bit of the, of the harshness to get through it because uh, it doesn't mean that everybody that bootstraps their next business is because honestly, my next business, if we did this huge exit, I would take somebody else's money next time. Um, 100%. So I'm not going to lie about that. But bootstrapping does afford you to have more chances on yourself to take riskier things that nobody's going to tell you to do one way or the other. And usually you'll spend your money a little bit more wisely. And I'm not even talking right. about the fast example previously. Even people that I know that, that have a decent amount of investment 
um, are having to try a lot of things and they've yet to find product market fit. Um, bootstrapping does not guarantee product market fit. You could run out of money. And again, the privilege thing, more in the term of money, um, I understand that. I didn't have all of this money to go try this with for Slingshot, but I had enough where I could go invest into myself and believe mm. in that. And um, obviously I built, spent a lot of money on the wrong thing until we found out the easier thing I could do, I could do overnight by myself on a weekend. But I had to learn that by building the garbage thing that I went around testing to everybody in Atlanta and trying to sell to and platform. And so the bootstrapping kind of keeps you in a mindset of like trying to make each dollar back. So as I told you, I ended up making 12, eight of my 18 back, which was really exciting. Um, so it was kind of a fun little, like, can I get this money back? And I'm freelancing at the same time. So I'm not, and I'm working. So let me say that I'm also working 70, 80 hours a week. My wife knew that. So she's awesome. She's a stay at home mom. She's incredible. She's incredibly good to me. Takes care of me. She let me come over here tonight. We got two kids. I'm back to the office tonight to have this fun conversation with you. And so bootstrapping is also, let me say that too. If you have a spouse or partner, they're also betting on you. Let me not cheapen that. I could not have done any of this, nor Black Airplane, had my wife not said, go do it. You got this. Um, and I've seen people in bad relationships, bad partnerships, or bad partnerships in the company who mm. they don't, they have someone kind of rooting against the success of the company, not wanting to take risks. So with bootstrapping, you can kind of do something on your own and take some risks there and not worry about anybody else trying to shoot you down. Plus, if I have a great partnership like my wife, they're building me up every day when I come home, asking me how I'm doing, asking me how I'm frustrated. And so um, it is risky. It is challenging. It is your own money. Um, but I feel like personally you can get to product market fit much quicker, um, not even at scale, but at some modicum of product market fit faster when you're forced to look at every single dollar that leaves the bank. I am not saying, because i got some great friends that have raised money that are incredibly fiscally responsible, but they have even told me crazy stories of their investors forcing them to hire too fast, hire too quickly, uh, to spend money wildly, because it's got, they've got to get the product market fit fast. Go, 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 go. I've never had that pressure, and that I'm very thankful for. So now when we go for investment, we've, we're kind of have our cards in our own hands. Yeah. We're the ones that are dealing the cards there. Now, that doesn't mean we'll get the same terms anybody else will, but we know it works now. Now we're just going to put fire on the, or fuel on the fire. Way different than a lot of people I know currently that are in investment constantly trying to have a pivot and figure their self out, find out product market fit. Um, we're already there. That's been super cool. And not everything I've done has been there. So thankful that we are there with Slingshot. Um, but each time I've invested in my own self to really kind of push around and find out what that looks like. John, this was epic. Great story with the agency, with Slingshot, and now with Bootstrapping. This was super fun, man. Yeah, All it was right. a lot of fun. Uh, this was good. All right, thanks for coming on, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, and we'll both get back to better places where we can have better lighting and all that fun stuff. <laughs> so good luck. Nice to meet you finally. And we'll talk, we'll talk on Twitter and get to know each other better. Definitely. Definitely.